Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. thank you so much for being here today, whether you're in here or watching online. We're just so grateful that you've chosen to be with us today and want to just update you next week on Sunday is our Thanksgiving offering and we've talked over the past couple weeks about the local ministries we'll support and the national or global ministries we'll support. And then also wanted to fill you in on one other area and that is uh, if you look around the carpet near you, it was originally not Dalmatian patterned like it is now. And uh, that's from coffee. And so if you have coffee, we're glad you can enjoy that. Just please keep a lid on it. But uh, we're going to replace the carpet as part of the Thanksgiving offering. It's not near as exciting, but uh, it is part of what needs done just to maintain the building around here. So we're going to be doing that and part of the foyer as well, upgrading that as a part of the Thanksgiving offering uh, here in, next week, next Sunday. So I wanted to do that. Also wanted to take just a minute uh, just to say thank you for your generosity. It is amazing just even in revealing what we're doing with the Thanksgiving offering, how people come up and say, well, I want to I wanna get involved now in doing this and do extra and do above and beyond what that is. And so we just appreciate your heart and your willingness to be a part of what is happening around here. We recognize from Scripture that God loves a cheerful giver. And so we don't ever expect you to give out an obligation. Uh, we, we expect you to give because that's what the Lord's laid upon your heart. And normally Rick does this, but uh, I drew the short straw and kind of go, go over some logistical things about giving real quick just to give you an insight into how we use the money that's given here. First off, myself or no one on church staff knows what you give. So if you come up to me and say, hey, did you see what I gave? No, I did not. I appreciate it, but I did not see what you gave. And we do that um, to, to just make sure that they we're above board and how we handle money. John, myself, anybody else on staff, we don't touch money uh, for very good reasons. And so that is something that Rick and his assistants handle, and they're the ones that do all that. Once a year, they'll give a, in January, they'll give a statement that gives a rundown of everything that you've given. Now, if you put money in the boxes back there, they have no idea if it's cash, who it came from, unless you put it in an envelope and mark it. And so they'll do that once a year in January. They will uh, allow you to have a statement of all of your giving so you can use it on your taxes or whatever you need it for. Uh, you can give in the offering boxes behind us there. You can give through your bank and like a bill pay service. You can give online on the church app. Um, there's a lot of different ways to give. Um, since we're a 501c3 organization, all of your gifts are tax deductible that you give to the church unless you designate it. If you designate it for a special project and it says that it can only be used that way, that's not a tax deductible gift. That's not just our rule. That's the IRS's rule. And so if, if you want to give, we'd be happy to do that. And we want to try and honor the way you give your money, but it has to be just given as a gift. And then also there's designations you can give. Uh, that are, are perfectly acceptable, and that's to the general fund, which funds all of our ministries. Uh, we do have a building fund still that usually is used to pay down the debt that we have. And uh, there's also the deacon fund, which is used to uh, meet the needs of our members and attenders as, as needs arise, and that's pretty cool to see how God has blessed that. And then we have the Thanksgiving offering too. And so you can, you can give in those ways, and uh, I know nobody gets excited about this talk, but uh, it is important just to let you know, and we just want to also recognize Rick and his team, and so if we could just give them a round of applause real quick. If you have further questions, Rick will stick around after the service. Uh, they come in once a week, every single week, almost without fail, unless they're on vacation, to count the offering, to make sure it's recorded under your name. 
Um, and, and I know many of you give online. Uh, many people ask, like, how did we survive through the, the pandemic? And that's your generosity. And the fact that you were online giving really kept us going strong throughout the entire pandemic. So thank you so much for your part you play. And it's exciting. On my side, I get to see where all of it goes out. I, I wish I could stand up every week and say, you, you have no idea what your money did this week. Um, but it, it is a blessing. So thanks for doing that. If you have your Bible, slip over to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. One of God's great blessings in the world is that our earth is created with structure and order. And you see that structure and order and patterns, you see it in our fingerprints, you see it in the weather, you see it in ocean currents, you see it in uh, the weather patterns that happen, and you see it even in the way that we learn. You understand that the way that we learn is, a, is often in patterns so that we can remember things more clearly. And patterns are helpful not only for learning, but we see it in seasons. And so thankfully we know that even though it's cold and snowy right now, eventually it will be warm and sunny. Uh, please soon, Jesus, right? And so we, we know this isn't the end. Uh, it's going to eventually turn warmer. Jesus used seasons or patterns to tell us that we wouldn't know the hour or the day in which he would return, but we could recognize the season in which he would return. And so patterns are built in. We're kind of pre-wired in our world to understand patterns, and it's the way that we learn. Uh, proof is, is in Cambridge, uh, they did a study a couple years ago, and I have a statement behind me on the screen I want to show you this morning, and I want you to read along with me. Now, just read to yourself, and I'll, I'll read it out loud. I couldn't believe that I could actually understand what I was reading. Using the incredible power of the human mind, according to research at Cambridge University, it doesn't matter in what order the letters in a word are. The only important thing is that the first and the last letter be in the right place. The rest can be a total mess, and you can still read it without a problem. This is because the human mind does not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. Amazing, huh? Yeah, and I always thought spelling was important. Your brain is hardwired to deal with patterns. It, it recognizes that's how you were taught to read. It recognizes that's how you learn often. And there's a pattern that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 4 that if you were a Christian today, you've experienced it. And that not only you experienced it at the moment of salvation, but you've, you're called to experience this pattern every single day till you are called home. And this pattern transforms the way that we live, or it should transform the way that we live, and we see it in chapter 4. Now, Paul has been in Ephesus for, he, he was in Ephesus for three years. He knew these people incredibly well. This wasn't just a theoretical idea to Paul. This was personal and practical. He had seen these people struggle. And so it makes sense that we would look today at his letter because in the first three chapters, you see the theology that he lays out, which is vital. But in chapters 4, 5, and 6, as Pastor John started last week and he'll continue next week, that in 4, 5, and 6, we get the practical application of that theology. And so when you think about what Paul does, he lays out a pattern for you and for me today. And I think if you'll grasp onto this pattern, it'll not only make sense of how you should live your day, but it'll, it'll really help you think through the problems that you encounter in life. And so today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 17 to 32. Now before you get concerned, we're going to be here all day. I'm not going to spend all of our time in 17 through 32. It's just helpful to get some context around the way in which he's talking. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, 
They've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those who are in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So Paul lays out this pattern. You may have picked it up, you may not have. We'll get to it in just a moment. But in chapter 4, verses 17 to 32, he begins in the first couple of verses and he reminds us that way that we used to live. His, his words today are directed to those of us who call ourselves Christians. And he's calling us to abandon the way in which we used to live and to pick up the way in which we've been called to live today since our conversion through Jesus Christ. Now, it's easy in a message that happens like this today to, to hear all of this and go, well, I, I just got to try harder this week. I just got to do a little bit more. And I want you to push against that thinking because that is not what he's calling us to do today. What he's calling us to do is to remember what we've been delivered from so that we can live in the life that he's called us to live. And so he says that in, in, in verse 17, 18, and 19, he says, look, the Gentiles live in the futility of their thinking. They think that all their work is going to save them, that everything they do is going to be helpful. But that's not the way that we learned about Christ. We learned that the only thing we come to Christ, we, we come to him empty-handed. There's nothing that we bring to the table that's going to make us better before Jesus Christ. And in verses 17 through 21, he makes his appeal to the people in Ephesus, and he makes his appeal to us today as well, because we know that this letter wasn't just sent to the people in Ephesus. It was sent to the people in Ephesus, and then they were told, go share this with somebody else, and go share this with somebody else, and share this with another church. And so it stands to reason that this directly applies to you and me today. Paul lays out a pattern for us, starting in verse 22. In light of the fact that we're no longer called to live like Gentiles, in, in the futility of our thinking, when we found out about Christ and heard in him, everything changed. And if today you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the step you need to take. You need to walk away from your old life, allow Jesus Christ to create in you a new heart, and to step into the new life he's called you for. But in verse 22, Paul reminds them, and he reminds you and I today, that you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. This pattern starts at salvation and continues for the rest of our life. And the first thing you've got to see in this pattern is we're called to put off our old self. To put off our old self. Oftentimes as Christians, we're so quickly drawn back to the things that we've been rescued away from. We go back to the things that we used to struggle with because that's familiar and it doesn't take much work to get there. 
But what Paul is calling us to do is he says, put off all of those old things. And why? Because they're full of deceitful desires. Deceitful desires are desires that write checks that they can't be cashed. They, they, deceitful desires are something that promises pleasure but almost always ends in pain. And when you think about your life apart from Christ prior to trusting in Christ, it's often marked by pain, shame, sadness, and grief. So Paul says, look, you were taught to the Ephesian people, and for many of you and me as well, we were taught. The reason why Paul knows they were taught is because he was there. And he said, look, you've got to put off your old self. So the first part of this pattern is we're going to put off the old self. The second part is found in verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. So the first thing we're going to do is every morning we're going to put off the old self and any of the deceitful desires that well up and want to call us to go back away from Jesus Christ. Then we've got to number two, renew our minds. We're going to put off the old self. We're going to renew your, your mind. This is a common theme throughout Paul's letters. You see it in Romans, you see it in Corinthians, you see it in Colossians, the call to change the way that we think. And so it's not enough just to get rid of the bad stuff. We've got to change the way that we think. We've got to renew our mind. Well, you may say, I've heard this before, but what does this look like? What's it look like to renew your mind? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Number one, what you think about matters. You want to renew your mind, you've got to change the way that you think. If you only think negative thoughts, negative things are going to come out. If you only think bad things, bad things are going to come out. And it, the power of our mind to control the way that we live is something that researchers are coming more and more to understand. Granted, Paul had it down 2,000 plus years ago, but modern research came along in the 40s and 50s and said, wait a minute, if you change the way you think, it'll change the way you live. Sounds very much like Romans chapter 12. Sounds very much like Colossians chapter 3. Sounds very much like Ephesians chapter 4. Put off the old self, renew your mind. What you think about matters. In our culture, there's such an internalization of what we think about that we don't ever get a chance for feedback anymore. If you could say over the past 30 or 40 years, what's changed? Used to, you'd think something crazy. You would tell it to your friend and they'd say you're uh, not smart. And then you would reevaluate. We don't do that anymore. Now we think about things and we just stay locked in this proverbial cycle of thinking the wrong things and we listen to, maybe at times we listen to our emotions more than we should or maybe we listen to logic more than we should and instead of allowing those to balance each other out and particularly for those of us who are Christians today, we find ourselves in a community in which God calls us to, to bounce things off of one another, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds and so when you think about how do you renew your mind, the first thing you've got to understand is what you think about absolutely matters. Number two, what you consume matters. If you're going to renew your mind, you've got to change what you think about, but you also have to watch what you consume, whether it be the movies that you watch or the music you listen to. I don't think there's anything wrong with movies or music, but if you are, are struggling in certain areas and you, you, you come across media that, that changes the way that you think, it, it's a big deal. Ladies, if you only look to Instagram to, to get your image and worth out of that, you will be depressed and really frustrated. Guys, if you only look toward pornography for your sexual fulfillment, it'll be twisted and distorted and not helpful. If you fail as a Christian to never read your Bible, it is the one thing that you can read that is guaranteed to transform the way that you think. 
Everything else is, you're just kind of like, well, I don't know if this will help, so we'll try this. And what do we do when we get bored? We, we say, well, I'll just listen to some music. Music's not bad. That's great. Go listen to some music. But it's going to change the way that you think. I'm just going to spend some time surfing YouTube for a while. Great. Sweet. That's a blessing of the Lord. I couldn't do half the home projects without YouTube, right? But when we allow that to be the only thing we consume, and we don't allow God's word to have its rightful place in our life, we won't renew our minds. Or we will, it'll just be with the wrong thing. So we got to renew our minds. If you aren't currently reading your Bible, that's okay. Uh, let me just encourage you to start. Um, quality is more important than quantity. If you don't normally read your Bible, start with this. Download the YouVersion Bible app, sign up for it, and every day click the notifications. You'll get a verse sent to your phone. You only have to try to do this. It will just pop up right there for you. Read that, think about it, meditate on it, see how it might apply to your life and what it reveals about God, and you're at a start. Now, if you've been following Jesus for 30 years and you're like, oh, that's a really good idea, you need to start reading more than one verse a day. But what we consume absolutely matters. Number three, um, who you're surrounded by matters. This is how we renew our mind. You say, wait a minute, this, how does this matter? Absolutely, right? Because you can think the right things, but if you don't have people coming along and supporting you in that, you're, you are ripe and ready to be picked off by Satan like a sniper looking for somebody to kill. And so this is why community makes all the difference in the way in which we live. And it actually has a lot to do with how we renew our minds. It has a lot to do with it because you need people in your life to push back and say, hey, you're headed towards the old self, not towards the new self that God's called you to do. And so what you think about matters, what you consume matters, and what you're surrounded by matters. In the 1950s, or no, 1980s, sorry, the National Institute of Mental Health did a finger-tapping exercise and it was tap, 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 four different times, four different ways for 30 days. They did this and they took an MRI at the beginning of the test. A month later, they said, do this for a month, come back in, we're going to do another MRI. What did they find? The part of the brain that controls the way that your hands work and the, the coordination of that had bloomed and blossomed. Neuropaths had been created and neurons had happened to come along the way to help you have an even better sense of what that is. So if that's the case for finger tapping, just imagine what will happen if you eliminate the things in your life that are causing you to fall away from the Lord that are back in your old self. Just think what would happen if you replaced 10 minutes of YouTube with 10 minutes of scripture reading and see what God might be able to do in your life. So it's not enough to get rid of the old and to renew your mind, though. You have to replace it with something else or you'll fall back into your old ways. In verse 24, Paul says that you, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, verse 24, sorry, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self created to be like God is only possible through repentance. When we recognize that there's an old corrupt self that needs replaced, that's the only way that that new self can come along. And so that happens at the moment of conversion, absolutely. But it also has to happen every single day where we wake up and we say, I'm not going to fall into my old self. I'm going to renew my mind and change the ways that are contrary to what Christ would call me to live or how Christ would call me to live. And so Paul says, you've got to put off your old self. You've got to renew your mind and you've got to put on the new self. And as we look at Jesus Christ, the perfect example of what this is like, if you want to know how you're supposed to live, just follow his example. But that's not the problem for most of us. Most of us have read the example, and we've studied the example, 
We've just got to live the example, which is where it becomes difficult. You see, we best image God when we operate out of a, a heart that is right. You get the right intentions, right motives, right actions, and that comes when we allow him to renew our mind. Because we're not going to end up there just when we wake up and think, oh, I just got to do more effort today. I just got to read a little bit more today. No, maybe for some of us, the problem isn't that we've read enough. The problem is we just don't do enough. We know what we're called to do. We just hadn't stepped out and actually done it, which is the great challenge of sanctification and being a Christian. The reality is, is that we're new, but we're not yet all new. The other thing we have to acknowledge today is that we have an enemy. We live in a fallen world, and we have set up habits and patterns for years that are contrary to Christ. And so you got to break those. you got to break through that. you got to allow God to change the way that you think, and you've got to put on your new self to be like God. Not that you would be God, but that you might be more like him. I, Jay Davis had this quote that I thought was so helpful. Putting off will not be permanent without putting on. Putting on is hypocritical as well as temporary unless it's accompanied by putting off. And what he's saying is that we can oftentimes as Christians think, I just need a little more Jesus sprinkled in my life this week. Well, that might be the case. But what we need to do is to put off the things that pull us away from Christ to renew our mind, and we've got to replace it with something else. And you might say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, good, I'm glad you don't, because today he gives us five examples in the next seven verses, and uh, we'll, we'll talk through that in a minute. But before we get there, I want to just share this. This is amazing to me that now the, the counseling world in the 50s and 60s figured out cognitive behavioral therapy. And cognitive behavioral therapy is essentially what you think about changes the way that you act. So, right, they, they picked up on it a little later than Paul did. But this idea is super helpful. When you're interacting with a Christian brother or sister, or even not a Christian brother or sister, this, this idea of putting off the old self, renewing our mind and putting on the new self is foundational to many of the problems that we face today. But if you try and do all of this on your own, like I'm going to follow Tyson's three-step pattern plan for this week, if you try and do that all on your own, you'll be miserable. You'll be miserable. The only way this is effective is to allow God to help you in that process. He invites us into that process. So it's, it's certainly our effort of spending time to focus on getting rid of the wrong things and to renewing our mind and putting on the right things, but we've got to be in participation with the Lord. Now, that is so important for you to understand because as you look through the next couple verses, you're going to see that it's more difficult than we thought it would be. He gives five practical ways we can put off the old, renew our minds, and put on the new. In verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbors, for we are all members of one body. Put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You'll, you'll see after this slide, there'll be a chart. There's also one in the notes there today. He gives a negative command, don't do this. He gives a positive command, instead do this. So old self is like this, the new self should be like this. And then he gives a principle for every single one of these of why this matters. And this was super helpful to me as I was reading through this week of that we know we shouldn't lie, right? He says, you're going to put off and we're going to stop lying. Instead, we're going to tell the truth. And the reasoning is, is that we're all members of one body. So the way that we put off the old self is to stop lying. The way that we put on the new self is to tell the truth. And the reasoning why, and here's the shift, here's the renewal of our mind. 
It's bigger than you. And what I mean by that is when you lie, a lot of times you think, oh, it's no big deal. I told a little white lie over there. I told one over here. And you think, it doesn't hurt anybody. Paul says, no, 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 no. When you lie, it affects everybody. If my brain lies to my foot about how far off this step is, I'm ending up in the second row. If my brain lies to my hand about that pot being hot, I'm getting burned. And Paul uses the analogy of you're all members of one body, so stop lying to each other because if we don't speak the truth to one another, we won't operate effectively. We'll end up hurting each other, yeah. We'll end up hurting ourselves, absolutely. And we'll end up doing the things that we shouldn't be called to do. So the put off is to stop lying. The put on is to tell the truth. And the reason is it's bigger than you. Satan loves to make you think and me think that our sin is personal and private and it doesn't hurt anybody else. For us, when we renew our minds, we go, wait a minute, if we're all part of the body, then we actually can hurt each other, even in something as seemingly innocent as not telling the truth. Verse 26 goes on to say, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So the negative is don't sin in your anger. The positive is resolve your anger quickly. And the reasoning is the devil can't get a foothold. So if you're going to put off, we're going to see anger as a problem when it's sinful. We're going to resolve the anger that we do have quickly. And the reasoning why is because it'll give Satan a foothold. So apparently, anger is possible to be righteous and to be sinful. And how do you tell the difference? Well, here's two things I think that are helpful when you evaluate your own anger to determine whether it's sinful or not. Number one, is it selfish? Are you angry for selfish reasons? You didn't get X. You didn't happen to be a part of this. Is that the reasoning you're angry? If that's part of it, then it could be sinful. And the other thing, or the other way that it's often sinful is when your anger is uncontrolled. So if your anger is selfish and it's uncontrolled, it's probably sinful. Remember back to as a little kid, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and? Okay, that was weak. Um, Self-control. If we're going to be animated by the Spirit, if we're going to live in a way that honors God, then we've got to be self-controlled. Our anger moves to sin when it's selfish and it's uncontrolled. You look at Jesus. Jesus, when he got mad at the, the, the money changers in the temple, what was he mad about? He, was, he had zeal or passion for his father's house. It wasn't about him. I don't think he, I mean, he cared, obviously, but it wasn't personal. But he did care about what happened to his father, and that's what made it personal. He was, he was more concerned about his father's glory than his own. Then what did he do? It wasn't uncontrolled. He drove them out. But then we see immediately happen where he's back doing whatever he was doing before. It wasn't some burst and fit of anger necessarily. It was something that played out over time. Uh, you also see when the, he healed the guy, his hand was all messed up, and he did it on the um, Sabbath, and the Pharisees were all bent out of shape about that, and he tells them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, right? And he was mad about that. You see um, William Wilberforce in the slave trade in the United Kingdom or in Europe. He had such an anger about him that he said, I'm not going to stand for this anymore and, and work to change that. So our anger is possible to, to be useful at times, 
but it can't be selfish and it can't be uncontrolled. And Paul says, we're going to put off the anger that's sinful. We're going to resolve that matter quickly. And the reason why is that the devil can't get a foothold. I had the chance in college to learn how to climb, uh, not real well, but enough to survive. And one of the things that the person was telling me is they said, you know, your foothold is the most important part. Yeah, you hang on with your hands and, and, you know, everything else matters as well, but you drop that foothold. Most of the work climbing should come from your legs, not from your arms. And you can always tell who's never climbed before if you watch on a climbing wall and they're trying to do it all with their arms because it's, your legs are so much better at pushing you up. But it can't happen if there's not a good foothold. You'll slip and fall. And so when you look at what Paul tells us about this, he says, look, if you allow your anger to fester, it's going to give the devil a foothold in your life. And it really becomes one of these issues where your anger becomes a breeding ground for everything else, all other kinds of sin. Think about this. The last time you were angry about something, did you wake up the next morning and you were just like, man, it's a great day. I'm just happy to be alive and can't wait to encourage people? Probably not. It's probably holding on to something else. And so Paul says the reason this is so important is because it'll give a foothold to every other problem in your life. Then he tells this one verse is always interesting. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. I always talk to this about, about this with premarital counseling uh, couples. I don't think you have to solve every problem by the time the sun goes down. But you should decide that you're not going to be angry. Because what happens when we get angry and frustrated and we're working through interpersonal conflict, whether it's in a marriage or alone friends or whatever, if, if you try and work through that and you're tired or you're hungry or you're wore out, it's just not going to go well. So I think it's entirely possible you can agree with the people you disagree with and say, look, we're, we're angry at one another. We're going to work through this. But to say that you have to fix the entire problem by the time the sun goes down, um, you might be really, really frustrated. That's for free. There's no other biblical evidence for that. That's just life experience. Um, and just knowing that it is difficult to work through anger, especially when you're dealing with two sinful people who may or may not be wrong. And to say that you have to resolve all of that that night can be really frustrating. So that's, I don't know, that's just my advice for the day. Take it or leave it. Number 28, verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I think Paul knew who this guy was, right? He said, anybody who's been stealing must steal no longer. And you may say, well, I'm not really shoplifting anybody today. Well, that's great. Don't think you should do that. But we also steal in other ways. We steal in our taxes. We steal in the way that we uh, handle some of our business expenses. We maybe cheat other people out of, of work time. Or there's a lot of other ways besides stealing in the, in the traditional sense of it. But what's Paul say? He says that you got to quit doing this, stop stealing, and instead work. And this is, this is an important part of the New Testament is that we all have a part to play. We all have work to do. And the reason is so that you can help those in need. If you're always taking and you have a taking mindset, you'll never be generous. You just won't. And so the put off is to stop stealing. And that might be something significant like shoplifting or it might be something really minor. And instead work for what you have. Many of you are incredibly hard workers. So this may not apply to you, but kids, uh, I know that there's always a temptation to slack off. And Paul says, look, we've got to quit stealing things and we've got to work for things. And the reasoning why is so that we can be a blessing to others. 
Stealing is not only wrong, it robs you of the blessing of helping other people. It, it pushes back and gives in to self-centeredness, which is what we're called not to do. Uh, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the get rid of is the unwholesome talk, and instead it's words that build each other up. And the reason why, once again, Satan loves to make you think your words are no big deal. It only affects you and the person who you're talking to. But once again, Paul pulls back bigger and says, no, this is bigger than just you hurt their feelings. You've actually grieved the Holy Spirit. That for those of us who are in Christ, the moment that we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and move from a confidence in ourselves and move to more trusting in him, we get the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us. And that Holy Spirit, we can grieve we can quench, we can snuff it out. And so Paul says, look, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building each other up. That's not just cuss words, that's normal words. Said in an unkind way can be just as damaging as any curse words you can think of. And so he says, look, what you gotta be is willing to call and to build one another up. This doesn't mean we never confront, doesn't mean we never correct, doesn't mean we don't, but we do it in a way that's helpful to build each other up in love. Because that's what we're called to do. And that's what honors the Holy Spirit. I had this thought this week that sometimes, you know, we were like, man, I wish I could see God move more effectively in my life. Do you realize that sometimes the biggest hindrance to God moving in your life is you and your sin? That sometimes the way that we talk or the way that we act or the way that we do, the Holy Spirit probably wants to work in us, but he's, he's grieved or he's quenched. Or he stopped altogether. And so, once again, Satan loves to make us think, it's my sin, it's my problem, it doesn't hurt anybody else. No, it actually has huge ramifications. So the way we renew our mind is, my words hurt others, and they hurt God. And I don't want to miss out on what God wants because of my sin. In verse 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So we're going to put off bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice, which are often byproducts of internal anger that's not dealt with appropriately. Right? Rage, malice, bitterness. This is why this is such a foundational truth that Paul gives us today. If you allow anger to, to get a foothold in your life, good things are not coming out of that. Bitterness is, rage is, and a whole host of other problems. He says, instead, be kind and compassionate and forgiving. So the put off is to get rid of all of those problems and instead to pick up kind, kindness, compassionate, compassionate, and forgiveness. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So we get rid of those, we pick up kindness, compassion, life, and also forgiveness. And you see that in Jesus. You see that perfectly in Jesus. He dealt with difficult people just like you do. He dealt with people who didn't listen to him just like you do. And instead of getting mad and writing them off and saying they're, they're whatever, show kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And why? What's the principle? Because God forgave you. 
There is no one in your life that has done anything as undeserving for you to be loved by God. They haven't done anything, they haven't sinned too much for God not to forgive them. So if that's the truth, that they haven't sinned enough where we would all agree, oh, God loves everybody and forgives everybody, then we ought to be able to extend that to others. Now, that's easy to say and really hard to do. I recognize that. But that's what we're called to. We're called to put off the old self. The old self would say, I'm not forgiving them. When we, when we see ourselves in light of how Christ sees us, we recognize that none of us deserves forgiveness. But then when we think through that a little bit more, we recognize that everybody deserves forgiveness. And so we've got to put off our old self, we've got to renew our mind, and we've got to put on the new self. Why? Because in Christ, God forgave you and me. Back to that idea of patterns, you know, one of the things that they do in military training is they teach patterns and exercises so that when you're in the heat of a battle, you don't have to think about what to do, you just do it, right? So they spend a lot of time training them on, if this happens, do this. I think this is what we got to pick up this week, is we got to pick up this pattern, get rid of myself, old self, renew my mind, and pick up the new self, because it's not if something's going to happen this week, it's when something happens this week. And as I felt myself getting angry this week at my kids, and I felt myself getting angry at some circumstances, I was real quick to go, wait a minute, is this, this was helpful for me at least, is this selfish? Yep. Is it uncontrolled? Probably. Therefore, I got to put it off. And I got to renew my mind to say, wait a minute, this is bigger than Tyson. This is bigger than you. And I got to put on the self that is like Christ, which is kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Now, if you're like me, when I read through this first time, a couple times, I was like, this is a lot of work. Um, it is. And you won't do it on your own, which is why we need his help all the more. And so today, as we close in our time today, I just want to cause you to think for just a second. Do you need to change a pattern in your life? Is there something you need to put off? Is there some way in which you need to renew your mind? Is there something that Christ has called you to that, that you know about, but you just haven't picked it up because it's, it's a lot of work? Is that something you need to do? Then, then I would encourage you in our few moments here as we pray that you'd ask God for that. So is there a pattern that you need to change? Is there, uh, for some of you today, maybe you, you don't even have a relationship with Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, all of what I shared is, is, is available to you only by what Jesus Christ has done, to forgive us of that old self, to renew our heart and to renew our mind, to take a heart that was stone and make it flesh and to help us walk in a new life. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd love to talk to you more about what that looks like today. And then lastly, I thought it would be helpful. You know, we are the body of Christ, and so many times we, we get locked in in ourselves and we get in thinking patterns that aren't helpful and we're like, man, if I just had somebody to talk to to kind of work this out. How many of you would be willing to say, I'd be willing to talk to anybody who needs help at any time to think through some of this? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay. Look around. There's a few people you can talk to this week. And if you find yourself in that negative mindset that only spirals downward, you need to find one of these people that just raised their hand and say, can I talk to you this week? Can you help me think about the right things? Because if you're trying to do this all on your own, it, it will fall flat on its face. 
So put off your old self, renew your mind, and put on the new self. It's a pattern that should, by God's grace, help us live every day until the day in which he does away with all of that and we're left with only the new self. But until then, it's a pattern, and you've got to put it in place. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the chance today to be reminded of the fact that you've created our world in a way in which things work. And yes, sin has tainted that, and yes, we screw it up at times, but God, there's, your word has given us such valuable insight in ways to renew our mind, to change the way that we think, and to pick up the, self, the new self that Christ has created for us to live in freedom. God, we recognize we won't do any of this apart from your goodness, your grace, your love, and your kindness. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to pick that up this week, but that we would also be willing to extend that to other people. That God, that we would extend truth-telling and forgiveness and the lack of anger, that we would extend that to other people because that's the way in which you've called us to live. Father, I thank you for the people in this room, and I pray that right now, if there's people who don't know you, that they would sense the, the drawing of your spirit to come and follow you. God, I pray that there's people that are hurting here today, God, that they would see that they're not alone. That, God, there are many people in this room that would be happy to listen, to call them up, to renew their mind to follow you more closely this week. God, we're so grateful for your patience with us in this process and recognize that we need your help. We ask that you give us to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.